0: Welcome to the Herbcast, the podcast from Herbal Reality, delving into the plant-powered world of herbalism. So do you know your echinacea from your eleutherococcus, or your polyphenol from your polysaccharides? Whether you're a budding herbalist, an inquisitive health professional, or a botanical beginner, Herbcast is here to inform and inspire you on your journey to integrating herbs in our everyday lives. So settle down, turn us up, and let's start today's episode of the Herbal Reality Herbcast.
1: I'm here with Andrew Flower. It's great to be with you, Andrew. Nice to be with you, Seb. And uh, Andrew is a, a practitioner of uh, traditional Chinese medicine and runs the White Crane Academy of uh, Chinese herbal medicine. And been lucky to know you over the years, Andrew. It's just great to have a chance to talk about you know, what brought you into herbal medicine and your, your experience at the White Crane Academy.
2: In herbal medicine, Oh, i was born with a name like flower there's no toast, really you know it was death my destiny um to quote utrid in the last kingdom um so <laughs> i i i think i, I i've always liked plants i always like gardening my my um my um parents were always slightly surprised and when at school I managed to kind of win a prize, I bought a book on gardening and they kind of looked at me like, well, you know, so we had a limited experience of gardening in reality, but I quite liked the idea of it. And I did get my hands dirty occasionally. Um, and then basically for me, the kind of the light bulb moment was um, at university when I was studying English literature. And um, I was also studying a lot of kind of Chinese yoga and Chinese martial arts and, mm. and various other things like that and, and some, and I went for a walk with one of our kind of group members who was a herbalist, a guy called Dylan Warren Davis, who was a um, son of an accomplished herbalist and an accomplished herbalist himself. And we went for a walk in Norwich Park and it was just blew my mind, you know, like literally every step, you know, there's dandelion or that's good for, you know, urinary tract infections or chick you know, chickweed's good for eczema. You know, plantains good for wound healing and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like these are just weeds. They they, mm. they weren't even the main plants. Those were kind of in the path that we were kind of walking over. And I just thought, this is amazing. It's a kind of a kind of radical realization, isn't it? That there's this kind of bounty. Mm. Um, and so I kind of really kind of I really that really intrigued me and interested me actually that kind of thing. So when I left university i decided to study uh, herbal medicine um, and i wanted to do chinese herbal medicine because i was doing involved in all these kind of chinese kind of things and also it was a much shorter course <laughs> <laughs> it was it was initially it was billed as a two and a half year course i did at a kind of private college which is interesting in terms of my own attitude towards education it was a two and a half year acupuncture herbal medicine training that i could fit into my but my busy life it was weekends. And I thought, that's great. I'll do that. So I signed up for it. And it was with this kind of slightly eccentric Chinese doctor who was a bit of a one man band who his didactic skills were pretty primitive. We used to dictate, you know, out of a book (laughs) to us. And after three and a half years, I realized we were going nowhere slowly. So I thought, do i am i going to continue with this so i thought i've got to do this properly so i went back and i started again at an acupuncture college which was a good you know a reasonably rigorous training and then i i i was so frustrated by the limitations of the acupuncture college in the year two that i started studying herbs again so i started Mm -hmm. with a guy called tong who was a vietnamese Mm -hmm. herbalist and i managed to complete the training but it basically took me about seven years to get, go from start to finish. And um, yeah, no, so it's a bit of a long haul a bit of a, you know, it was a bit of an ordeal, um, but I kind of kept going. And I it's one of the things that's really kind of made me passionate about training, you know, is I, I don't want anyone to have to have such a convoluted and slightly wasteful <laughs> experience that I did. Um, and I feel the real sense of responsibility. If someone wants knowledge, you have to feed them. They're little hungry Mm -hmm. chicks. They need their little knowledge worms. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's really informed my own attitude towards education and the kind of training we do at the the White Crane Academy.
1: Well, I read an an article recently that you wrote, Andrew, called, um, was it, How to Grow a Herbalist? (laughs) And uh, it sounds like your attitudes to... uh, Choosing the length of a course have changed over the years because um, that was quite a meandering route you had, yeah. and I can hear the the dedication that you put in, but also the frustration. So um,
2: well, I, I think it's right, and you know, this is again something that we're talking about at you know um, with the Herbal Alliance, kind of the confederation of different uh, colleges. Is you know, it is about personal development, mm-hmm. about attitudes and relationship to nature, about You know how you you know how you deal with kind of emotional issues in yourself and other people. There's all this kind of practitioner development aspect of things, but there's also the kind of um, you've got. It's got to be rigorous in my mind. You know, I consider myself to be a doctor of Chinese medicine, and all the kind of stuff that goes with being a doctor. You know, you've got to be well informed. You've got to be have a kind of intellectual rigor. You've got to be responsible. You've got to kind of be caring and you've got to be effective and all of those kind of things I think take you know a lot of work and 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 you know consistent work it doesn't kind of stop when you finish the course it almost just begins as you know you know that's when in a way you start learning and um, it's an ongoing process which is part of the joy uh, of being a practitioner I think.
1: Mm, mm. Well, I think that that personal journey that you talk about is so fundamental, isn't it? In on the path to becoming a, a herbalist, or, or you know, a professional at that level. And I love that that you you engage your students in that that they they have to learn and embody it first.
2: Yeah, I, I mean that's that's actually it's really it's really interesting. I mean, what's interesting is is that you know. You, I, what I look for in a student and what I think the students well, the students who come to see us, they've all got this kind of connection to the plant world. Mm-hmm. whether it's they grew up in a kind of mountainous area in Italy and that they always used to or that they're big on cooking or they they like growing fruit and vegetables, there's this kind of sense of connection to the natural world. And interestingly, you know my my kind of um, work with some conventional medics is a lot of them have the same. You know, Mm -hmm. when I used to work at Southampton University with this in the Department of Primary Care, used to go into some of these doctors, you know, offices, they were like jungles. (laughs) You know, they had like plants coming out of everywhere, you know, wrapped around everything. They they loved plants. And Mm -hmm. I think there is something that kind of basic kind of um, that connection, that love. And, And what an amazing thing to do to be able to use plants... In that way to kind of promote healing and well-being
1: it is, it's, mm. it's a wonderful job isn't it mm. it is a real blessing i mean healing uh, just as illness are a part of nature's natural process aren't they and so whatever method you might use for that uh, transformation is going to connect you with the cycles and patterns of nature on some level i think
2: yeah and, and, and it's such an important concept for now isn't it is that the idea that you know that the fact that you know the world that we're kind of ruining is also the source of potential source of our salvation in many ways. Mm. And it's like, mm. you know, we, we're, we're like sitting on a branch, soaring at the end of the branch where, so, you know, we have some fourth, you know, and, and mm. we'll fall with the branch. And it's just, it's a so madness. And I, I just think that so much about, um, what we have to do is to kind of reconnect with that sense of, of belonging and potential and, you know, that, that fundamental connection that we have and how, um healing that is in all kinds of different levels you know whether it's emotionally spiritual or physically Mm. if we're talking about a lot of herbal medicines Mm. and you know it's uh yeah it's just how we look at things isn't it i mean a herbalist looks at you know weeds in a very different way to someone who's going to pour glyphosate on them and eradicate (laughs) them yeah yeah And, and that's a fundamentally
1: different relationship Seems like you can take the principles and the values and the insight and the wisdom, but then of course many of the ingredients, the herbs themselves, uh, come from China as well. Yeah. I, so I how think do that's... you work with your students to connect with the plants in the in the UK and many of the plants? Although lots of Chinese herbs do grow in the UK, of course.
2: Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point, and I think that's probably, I think that's the the, the main shortcoming of Chinese herbal medicine. Studying Chinese herbal medicine in the UK is the fact that you don't have the same kind of access, the same ability to grow and harvest and, and wild harvest the plants that Western herbalists do. I think there are mm-hmm. many advantages to Chinese medicine, but that's for me, is the fundamental disadvantage. And so how we get around it is that we, um, every, obviously, when we're teaching herbs, every herb, you have a sample. Mm-hmm. And we talk about the, some, as much as I can talk about the, the botany of a plant. So there's some really interesting stuff. So, for example, there's a, um, a plant called Chong Lo, which is a used for it's called the king of the uh antivenoms. And when I was taught that, it was told that there was this plant with these big, kind of nice green leaves, and underneath these green leaves lived a great big green snake. And apparently, this is apparently the snake tends to favor this particular as a kind of certain type of viper. And the antidote to the snake bite is in the root of the plant. Oh. So it's like, <laughs> it's like, I just find that kind of thing really rather amazing rather lovely. So you can tell those stories. Um, and try and you know make the herbs three dimensional and living in that way, um, and so and we also place a lot of emphasis on taste. So I think mm. the taste of the of the herb is important, and uh, really trying to kind of get into that. Um, we had a really interesting thing actually. You would have loved this, Seb. It was really interesting. On our on our little herb fest in the summer, we broke down a Chinese herbal medicine formula, Sunny Tang, which has got four herbs in it, and we 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 blinded ourselves to to what was going what we were taking we we tasted one herb and then two herbs and then three herbs and then four oh. herbs and we so, we we felt the effect of the herbs. so we had a, a herb we started off with a herb called chai hu which is bupleurum and we and suddenly the kind of energy in the room everyone was chatting no one knew what it was but everyone was got, it had a very kind of uplifting and it's got a very upbearing energy chai hu and a kind of quite a moving thing and then we added some um, bayshaws some peony, and suddenly everyone just went. So the bayshaws and the and the and the together. Suddenly everything settled down a little bit. People felt mm. a little bit more centered. And then we added the other two herbs, and we we saw the effect. So we, in a way, experienced the synergy of combining mm-hmm. different herbs and different tastes and different flavors. And uh, it was a real revelation. Actually, it was kind of really interesting how Mm. um, how sensitive people were to those kind of the energies of the of the herbs. Mm. That's how that they used to. I think that's a lot of the way in which they used to determine the actions of the of the Mm. herbs through taste and through things like that. So, so we connect in that way. The other the other thing. None of my answers are particularly short, I'm, I'm horrified to say, but yeah. the, 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 the other thing is... A good answer, so Andrew, it's fine. You go around the houses a bit, but the other thing is we do go to the Bristol Herb Garden. So we mm. the Register of Chinese Herbal Medicine has part-funded this um, herb garden in Bristol, which is created by uh, Tony Harrison, and he's built up a kind of herb garden of, I think, a couple of hundred Chinese herbs. So it's like it's like meeting... You're meeting meeting old friends you haven't you haven't seen for years you go and see them in living plants and uh, that's really exciting I mean herbalists in my experience when they go to a herb garden are like kind of kids in a candy store mm-hmm. um, and you can get also herbs in in you know when we grow herbs in uh, things like garden centres and even from seeds I mean you know goji berries uh, you can you can you can grow a goji goji berry plant if you want
1: <laughs> i mean how how do you think that might influence the therapeutic relationship and connection the fact that all herbalists seem to have such a close connection with the plants they're using as well as the client in a way you know there's a desire for helping the the client uh, as well as uh, you know almost a reverence for, for the plants in some cases their respect
2: yeah, I think it's. I think it does. I think again, you know, that's that slight disconnect with Chinese medicine is potentially there's some areas around that, and I, I have a I have an unproven theory that I think that and but it, and I'd like to explore this and see what other herbalists think about this. But I sometimes think that some of the Western herbs are better suited to mental emotional problems than mm. some of the Chinese herbs. I think the Chinese mm. herbs are brilliant as kind of for physical therapeutic effects, you know, for a whole range of different conditions. But, you know, I, I've never found a Chinese herb, for example, to be as effective as St. John's wort for depression, mm. you know, mm. and I, when I give St. John's wort, I, I tend to use the Salus St. John's wort. So it's, I just give it to my patients and say, it's sunshine and the juice. Get yeah, this down. It's the freshly pressed plant juice. And I think, the the closer you are to that the closer you are to the kind of almost the essence almost the spirit of the plant Mm. and i think in chinese herbal medicine we are slightly divorced from that um that said i mean i think for you know it's still i mean most people don't really come to see me for things like depression they they might be depressed Mm. they might have anxiety and i think the herbs Mm. can really help with those things but i i treat a lot more kind of Kind of mind body type issues, mm-hmm. and, and, and I find Chinese medicine to be very effective for
1: those. I think the um, uh, in in Western herbalism, there is so many of the light, delicate, aromatic flowers and and leaves that I think are dried and harvested, you know, grown in such a high quality way that they they have a, a good influence there. You um,
2: may have a kind of like a lighter chi to affect the kind of
1: the, the spirit almost in a way. They're not so kind yeah. of gross and as as. Yeah. Slightly, yeah, I do. It doesn't maybe, doesn't sort of address what you might look at in Chinese medicine the sort of blood deficiencies or yin deficiencies that might lead to some fundamental issues. But I think there's the lighter that moves some of the stagnant chi and lifts the mood. And you know, the lavender, the roses, the lemon balms are all particularly, you know, Hypericum, St. John's, what you talked yes, about. No, I, I agree. Different.
2: I mean, one of my favorite plants is a uh, favorite herbs is mei gui hua, the, the rose petals. And... Um, no I mean I, I tended to use it more when I was using decoctions and you actually could give a the formula with all these, these beautiful mm. herbs in it and I always found that it had you know it, people responded well to it I use it
1: less now in a granular form because you you don't have the visual impact but it, and the aromatic oils as well I think are a, a bit of a challenge sometimes and so with the granules yeah, well, with rose, where it's so rose. delicate, when you got one of those really delicate aromatic flowers, I think they are more challenging as an extract, whereas the roots and the, the sort of more tonified yes. things, they do well as a decoction, and they, yes. they, they, they only work well as a decoction in a way. Yes. And, yes. No, uh, whereas light. things like rose water, the tradition in Europe of these sort of more aromatic light things, and yes. I think they help yeah, lift some of that. Uh, heaviness that is um unfortunately uh, you know present in life at times uh whether it's the pressure from the weather or the news or, or just like you travels. find that
2: with your own practice that you you find that for some of those more kind of mental emotional things you would you would err towards those kind of lighter the, the more western stuff that you can you can access in a more highly quality controlled form yeah
1: yeah i think I, I think i do i think you're right i mean i i I particularly like the, the qi stagnation moving aspect of China's medicine. I think that insight is uh, particularly valuable in you know, mental, emotional health. But, I, yeah, I do like those aromatics, and they, and they taste quite nice as well, which is always an advantage. Yes. And, um, but I think one of the – I mean, there are so many beautiful things about all the different systems of medicine, but in, in Chinese medicine particularly, the skills in formulation and um, that knowledge of how to combine herbs – in such a, a thoughtful uh, structured mm. uh, systematic mm. uh, but also artistic way is something I've, I've always loved and i um when i was reading that article you were writing about how to grow a herbalist that you also wrote in there something like um that formulas are libraries mm. in a way that they're a, a sort of repertoire of knowledge and mm. and almost an idea you can take mm. and i uh, uh yeah h- how do you go about teaching that art form in a way to your to your students and what are some of your stories you get out of the classes
2: well we 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 kind of it's an interesting i i agree i think the two amazing things about chinese medicine that i find amazing really one is the diagnostic framework i Mm -hmm. I, i would really i think that's an astonishing diagnostic framework you know it's kind of it's got kind of holism kind of hardwired into it so it's just And it just seems to relate so well. So, for example, you get a condition like COVID coming along, which everyone's struggling to kind of diagnose Mm and see what's going on. From a Chinese medicine point of view, it just makes really good sense. And once it makes sense, then you've got this kind of, as you say, a kind of repository of, of formulae and strategies to try and address this. And I think that the formulae are. They are. They're, they're, they're libraries of clinical thinking of previous practitioners and, and, and embodiments of their experience. And, you know, they're 2,000 years old in some cases, hmm. you know, which is amazing that they've been, you know, used and you know, I mean, you know, they're used, I mean, a lot of those herbs in the 2,000 year old herbs were used for treatment, treating COVID or combinations of formulae were used for treating COVID. There was another, there's a very old formula, Wumai One, which is for the, the black... Um, plum uh, which is used in for an invasion of an external pathogen, but has recently been found to be effective for peanut allergy. You <laughs> know, and it's like it's just these things the 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 genius of the people who combined and refined and collated is amazing. so I, I I think the formulae are just staggering because you know when I first qualified, well, before I even qualified as herbal medicine, when I finished my first kind of three and a half year training that went nowhere. I was actually in a monastery, and uh, for a few months, just to recover my sanity, and uh, I was che- all the nuns were anaemic, um, hmm. and they all they all could, they all wanted to give blood, and they couldn't give blood because they were all anaemic. So I gave them some blood tonics, and I hmm. was faced with the prospect is that I didn't know how many blood tonics to put in a formula, hmm. because I hadn't learned formula; I just learned individual herbs as such. So I gave them, you know, I didn't know where to stop, or where it didn't. I didn't have the kind of boundaries or the or the internal logic. So. So I did give them herbs, and if they actually their anemia was resolved. And they all went and gave blood, and they all became anemic again. <laughs> <laughs> but what I realised from the formulae was, is it kind of it gave me structure, as mm-hmm. you said, and a thoughtful structure. So I knew that there were now there's you know Su Tang, which is the four blood tonics, or Tang, mm-hmm. which is a combination of Qi and blood tonics together, eight, eight herbs together, and that just was really a great structure that you can then build on and adapt and actually the longer i go on i don't know whether you feel the same but the longer i go on with um, prescribing i'm i'm really excited about things like for example the shape of a formula that's the mm. way i kind of think of formulae now in terms of their shape whether they have a clearly defined shape or whether that shape in some sense match, matches the pattern of the disease that they're mm. trying to treat and whether or whether they're kind of and i can see that with my students i try and teach them about the 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 logic of combining different herbs and the kind of way in which that forms the whole prescription but also the internal dynamics of a formula so that it's like Mm -hmm. you know within a formula a herb might be doing one thing with one herb and another thing with another herb Mm -hmm. and you start to get these kind of internal kind of cross references that are just amazing and that's the synergy of a herbal prescription Mm -hmm. um so I think we try and kind of get them to see that and explore that. And, and um, I think they get it, actually, because I think that they're kind of their own formulations that they're writing now. We place a lot of emphasis on clinical supervision and the kind of formula that they're writing in, the, in their second year of a three-year course are really sophisticated. You know, mm-hmm. I'm really impressed with what they're, what they're doing. And I think that's because they've been supervised by good practitioners over the last
1: two years. Well, tell us how you do that. I mean, I've got to mention your work on Jade Screen Project, Andrew, because it's just phenomenal that you got that going with your team of experts to offer a free uh, Chinese herbal medicine treatment to frontline workers during the, the COVID uh, uh, epidemic, pandemic. And um, tell, us, tell us a bit about how you went about understanding what covid was for example as a theory of how you look at a disease that hasn't got a chinese pattern per se okay how you used your logic and then just you know a loose look as a general overview and then what herbs you'd put together as a rough idea
2: well we've so what we did is we we were faced with the choice and this is again a really interesting choice i think as herbalists you know we're faced with the is basically our professional association told us just to sit you know take three months off and shut up basically And i just thought that was outrageous really in a way that i just thought you know i understand why they said it because there was a problem with you know stay, you know staying at home and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff but with zoom and all that kind of technology we could we could treat people and i just thought chinese medicine's got things to offer so we basically formed a little kind of management team and that management team was kind of multi-talented and very very able group of people Um, So what we did is we had some Chinese speakers uh, in the group. So we basically accessed all the Chinese resources that were coming out of of Wuhan pretty early on. And we compiled compiled anything, basically, all the kind of anecdotal stuff, the limited amount of clinical research, some of the um, in vitro research that had gone on with, say, for example, Chinese herbs and coronaviruses in the past and things Mm -hmm. like that and we we kind of distilled this, and then we we basically we worked out some 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 of the kind of key findings, and then we circulated it to a group of expert practitioners. Then we had about eight expert practitioners that we circulated to. Um, you know it was global, really. we around the world we got people kind of responding to to this and saying how much they agreed with or disagreed with these particular statements. And as a result of that, it's called a Delphi process, and we did a modified Delphi process. It's a kind of well-known research technique to try and establish the idea of good practice when there's no um there's not enough evidence to say exactly what's what. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we basically we worked out these kind of these kind of treatment guidelines, and then we we taught it, and we 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 practiced it and we taught it and 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 then obviously, the more that we started to treat people, the more experience we got, and the more we adapted things. And then we carried on, you know, developing. It was an iterative process. So we mm-hmm. developed, and we kept on teaching then our other practitioners, because we teamed up with a group of about, you know, fifty practitioners who also provided Chinese herbs to 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 people with COVID. And we all started to kind of pool our knowledge and experience. So, for example, we we knew, there was stuff from China that was useful, but we felt also wasn't totally relevant to how COVID was manifesting in the West so we 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 developed so we found herbs like um Hujang, for example which is i think it's polygonum cuspidatum which is a japanese knotweed yeah is <laughs> yes. the kind of bane of any gardener they say if you get japanese knotweed in in your garden the only thing to do is move um and um but what a fantastic herb, you know, a yeah. herb that is from a Chinese medicine point of view, it's clears fire toxin, which are often antiviral or antibacterial in action. It moves the blood. So you've got a disease like COVID, which is both viral and circulatory, causing blood clots. It resolves phlegm, a lot of phlegm and damp in COVID and particularly in the lungs, and it stops cough. Mm-hmm. So it's like, wow, this herb ticks all the boxes mm. so we started to introduce that along with other herbs like uh, banlangen, which is woad which is again another antiviral herb um, and we treated the emphasis was really to treat on what we see so use basic principles mm-hmm. and treat what we see and we saw a lot of dampness in the body a lot of phlegm in the body um, some signs of blood stasis and often a lot of in longer terms some longer term deficiencies as well and I think we got good results, basically. We treated what we saw and we used Chinese herbs and we got good results. And you 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 helped kickstart the project, basically. The the Herbal Alliance, you know, if we hadn't have had that initial kind of support, it wouldn't have happened. So credit mm-hmm. to you. And we've treated, we must be getting on for almost about 400 people now that we've treated with, um, with frontline workers to support them with their um, recovering from, from COVID now, mostly. Uh, but it's been a good project.
1: It's a good project. Amazing, amazing project. I mean, I, I I love how clearly you managed to articulate how you saw the pattern progressing of what COVID does from an energetic uh, point of view, and it's that it's that sort of vitalistic language that I find so helpful in Chinese medicine, and the that saying in Chinese medicine that you have, you know, one disease, many treatments, many treatments for one disease. <laughs> Yeah. And whatever, uh, yeah, is whatever in Chinese. I can't pronounce it properly at all. Yeah. But yeah. um I, I love that theory it, it it that principle really, because it it shows you the value of a solid education and the principles that you're in you know, instilling in your students. Because if you learn some of the guiding principles, you can apply that. In any yeah. setting with any plants potentially as well once you can learn the taste and the, and the principles of how they yeah, work absolutely
2: I, I totally agree with that but i think what's interesting again about the chinese attitude because these are just different models aren't they we mm. use different models to interpret our experience what i like about the chinese is they're very practical in their models that they use mm. a model when it works and then discard <laughs> it when it doesn't work and then they introduce another model that works and that's what i found really helpful with understanding covid is we used you know a traditional model that was the six channels, or six divisions, or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call them, that, that describe the initial phases of disease, and then as it went deeper into the body, we used other models. We used the models of the of the internal organs, or we use models of the chi in the blood, or whatever. And and the beauty of those models is, is again is that they are they come they describe what you see, they describe patient experience. So, for example, dampness. You know, dampness was dampness. It's a kind of mm-hmm. metaphor. But when you when people start talking about being muzzy headed, heavy limbed, <laughs> feeling just deeply kind of fatigued, you know, um, it's they're talking about dampness in their body. And, and when you say that, sounds like you're kind of you know you, you're, you're foggy headed. They go, yeah, that's exactly right. That's dampness. Now, how you want to see that in conventional terms? You, there's lots of different ways of interpreting that. But we see dampness, and we've got multiple strategies for how to resolve dampness whether you aromatically transform or you drain through the urine tonify the spleen or you you know sweat it out there's lots of different strategies for treating dampness and that's what we applied and you know, it wasn't a miracle cure but it was a good it was a what china's medicine offers is a, is a good solid treatment with some very positive results
1: and do you think that that work can be a springboard for chinese herbal medicine becoming more popular and more integrated in medicine in some way what you know your experience as well in research andrew you've dipped your more than your toe your whole body into that into that realm um what what do you think that holds for the future of chinese medicine really and its acceptance i
2: I think that i think that the jade screen project was a was probably the best pr for chinese medicine since the eczema trials in the 1990s basically Mm -hmm. and i think the beauty of it one of the joys actually of it was treating conventional medics so doctors and nurses and physios and occupational therapists Mm -hmm. and pharmacists treating them who in a way have always been like the other side Mm -hmm. and actually being on the same side and saying this is what we can do to help and them being kind of open-minded enough to try it and and Many of them got significant benefits from from treatment. That was a really nice thing that was really uh, good to do, and I felt it kind of we we kind of we we bridged a lot of the suspicion and and mm. doubt in, in a very small number of people. We're not talking you know thousands. We're talking about small number, but it's a start. Mm. I think the model of the Jade Screen is something that could be extended. So we are talking, and I will talk to you about this at some point. We are talking about, for example, trying to do. A jade screen thing for refugees hmm. so if we can if, i don't know if we've got any fuel left in our tank but if we if we do i think we think we'd like to set up something for not just ukrainian refugees but for afghani and, and syrian mm. refugees mm. just to provide a kind of free herbal medicine service to to help them um and i think that's it was one of those things where what i love and i, I think you're you're quite like this as well is a win-win-win situation you know everyone benefits you know the mm. The patient benefits, mm. the profession benefits, the the society benefits, and and the herbalist benefit really because we all it's everyone gets a kind of there's a positive mm. um, spiral out of all out of that kind of way of working, um, and um, so I think it is a model that can, is transferable. How much it'll it'll increase the popularity or the acceptability of Chinese medicine in the long term, I don't know. I think there's quite mm. a few i think we've got quite a few barriers to overcome in this country sadly actually
1: we do well it's a a a beautiful idea and and really really great that you're thinking how you can extend that vision of jade screen now you've got that structure (laughs) we must definitely talk about it afterwards for sure and um yeah what do you what do you think and this big question in a way you know the next steps should be what should we try and do you know in terms of Given that some of the barriers of being accepted into, should we say the you know conventional medical world, a more integrated model doesn't seem to be immediately on the cards, does it? Although there are uh, positive steps in lots of areas, what do you think we should do as a, a Chinese herbal medicine community, as a herbal community, to?
2: I think we should set up an organisation that, that sells herbal
1: teas in supermarkets.
2: <laughs> and call it something like I don't know Buckle <laughs> or something like that. That would be a good idea, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, we could do that yeah.
1: we could do that that's it yeah. it's always available um,
0: we could do another I, idea well, I, Andrew. I, I, this,
2: I mean i've spent 15 years trying to do research I mean, i'm not a natural researcher, right i i'm more of a more mm-hmm. kind of uh, it's not my nature really in some ways to do that but i did do research and i tried to my feeling was is that the way to integrate was through doing research but i on, after 15 years, I felt that that wasn't the case, actually. I, I've, there are a number of reasons as to why that is the case, but it's incredibly slow, incredibly ponderous, and, and actually what's really problematic is mm. you end up often researching what you
1: don't do, you know, because you research. Mm. I mean, you, you did work on writing the principles did, of how I did, TCM and, 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 should and be researched. I managed researched, to do what I,
2: what I wanted or... to do in the sense is I, I think we, when I was, my, my PhD was, I think, the first double-blind, randomised controlled trial on uh, Chinese herbal decoctions, and and we showed that it was feasible to do that, hmm. but for endometriosis, but
1: but for endometriosis. In terms of whether
2: who, anyone yeah. else, it's a very. No one's going to fund that and a bigger study, for example, because wh- where's the where's 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 the doctors want something that they can give to their patients as a simple standardized pill. Pharmaceutical companies don't want individualized treatment, whether they have a herbalist who has to so it's gonna be very difficult to find. You can't create a product at the end of that. So it feels that that whole kind of, that whole line of investigation is very limited. And you can end up researching, say, for example, a simplified pill. We did the andrographis trial, one 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 herb. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that's not what herbalists yeah. do. You know, We talk about synergy and the, the key thing is, is to yeah. research what you're doing at the moment. I don't think that's that feasible to do that. So my my personal feeling is uh, once statutory regulation failed as well, which would be another way in to gain credibility. And and uh, is my feeling is is we have to go inwards and we have to create a really strong hub of who we are, of what we do, with mm. rigor and and integrity, and and really just build that hub and then and build up expertise and internally reference. So, for example, you know why aren't we? You know the idea of doing encouraging our own people to do research according to herbal medicine, what herbal medicine wants to research, not necessarily what a university Mm -hmm. sanctions. So we might not be able to give someone a PhD, Mm. but we might be able to give them a master master of herbal medicine type qualification. And they can do the kind of research Mm -hmm. that they're really interested in. Um, And I think that Mm. we have to, that's my feeling, is we have to build this strong hub. And then when the hub is really strong, I think we can start to expand out again. And I think it's slightly different for Chinese medicine than for Western Mm -hmm. medicine. I get the feeling Western medicine's already experienced quite a renaissance at the moment. A lot of the colleges are very full. There's a lot of people wanting to train. whereas I think that's kind of Mm -hmm. Chinese medicine still Mm -hmm. just coming out of a bit of a trough with that. A lot of the colleges closed and they're starting Mm -hmm. to kind of reopen again in different forms. Mm -hmm. So I think we lag behind Western medicine. But that's my personal preference is to do that. And, you know, and it is actually quite interesting. And again... Doing research, I did feel like it slightly. I, I kind of felt that it kind of it. I, I lost a bit of my soul doing it in some ways. Is that I, you know it wasn't fitting in forms for clinical trial, you know, uh, organization is just horrible. It's so Not nourishing. Dangerous. Some people love it. Some people love it, but for me, it was like a form of uh, torture.
1: <laughs> yeah. A certain yeah. skill set, isn't it? Basically, um, well, it's a uh, you know big, big challenges ahead. I mean, in, in systems change, you know, you can either lobby, can't you, to try and get the the big system to change, yeah. or you can set up your own system and grow it so it becomes big enough to have that impact. Um, I'm a bit of an advocate of both because we li- we live within a, a bigger system in a way that does. Um, you know we need to relate with that has got regulations that we exist within but i think we shouldn't feel disempowered by that and i i agree with you there's no point in swimming upstream where the tide is pushing you out too much so i i i like what you're saying about creating you know centers of herbal excellence but also a um that they're interacting and that they're sharing and interfacing because we're too small in our own little hubs i think to shine that light as wide as yes, herbal no, medicine deserves I, I to have it. You're right shot, that you need to do both. I think that the that you need to we need to be kind of
2: internally strong, but also to especially when we're ready to be more externally facing. Um, but I think there's still a way to go with that. I mean, for example, with the COVID thing is that I I, I think I told you, but I I applied to do a research project with a conventional doctor at St George's Hospital in March 19 uh, March 2020 right at the outset and we had a prophylactic herbal formula that they'd used in Wuhan and they'd used in Hong Kong in the SARS epidemic and we offered to do a free uh, randomized controlled trial of with with this herbal prophylaxis and uh, we would organize it all and we provide the herbs free of charge and we got through the first round of uh, the of the uh, of the process and in the second round they rejected us because they said it was too expensive even though it was free and that they didn't have the organizational ability to manage it even though we said we'd do all that ourselves so for me especially at a time of crisis like there was mm. they didn't have the vaccine then it was pre-vaccine exposing <laughs> workers to a potential dead mm, Someone's nothing saying, to lose. let's just explore what options are if they weren't even open to that then for me it just indicated how kind of closed-minded mm. a lot of these conventional uh systems are but
1: we need to keep mm. beating on the door i think is important well i think what you said about you know how you've reached out and connected with so many uh, health uh, professional medics and 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 working with the younger and upcoming doctors and health professionals of the future as their interest in yes. obviously the nutrition the microbiome you know antibiotic resistance yes. you know there's obviously live debates around the efficacy of a, a broader sort of more Shall we say medicalized approach to health, and the benefits of self care and yes. social prescribing seem so hot on the agenda. But I think that the, yes. there are many uh, doors ajar, right. so to speak, and that we should yeah. um, work with those people that are receptive.
2: <laughs> nicely, nice, nice answer to the question there. I think I think you're absolutely. I think that's absolutely <laughs> right and absolutely spot on. It's a kind of how we kind of. I, th- I think there will be a kind of process of, of osmosis in some ways, and I think there will be people will kind of gravitate towards those things and i think the zeitgeist is changing i do think that there's a growing environmental awareness sense of needing to look after ourselves and 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 i think those things will it will that you know i, I have the sense in which that there's a kind of the tide is turning a little bit and i think herbal medicine will become more popular again i hope so anyway
1: You said that you consider yourself a doctor of uh, uh, Chinese medicine, and you know, doctor means teacher. And so, I'm, I'm, you're definitely living up to your. Uh, your Is that what doctor title. means? Doctor means teacher. Doctor means it? teacher. Yeah, doctor means teacher. One oh, of really And so, in terms of how you're educating your, not just your students, but in a one-to-one session when you're with a with a client, there's so much knowledge transfer, isn't there? In that in that space absolutely i think that's i mean that's i
2: think again one of the beauties of working with the traditional system of diagnosis you know that you can i mean so many chronic illnesses in my experience i'm sure probably in yours as well have got a mental emotional component Mm -hmm. to them and you know if you can you know people people it makes sense to people not in a kind of blaming kind of way but for example say for example with um endometriosis or chronic urinary tract infections which I, I treat a lot of then often there's a emotional component hmm. to, to those things whether it's kind of abuse as is often the case hmm. or whether it's you know things like repressed anger and all those kind of things people not being able to express some of those emotions It's really important and and if you don't address those and and um and, and allow those kind of to be explored, then I don't think you'll resolve the problem, actually. Mm-hmm. I think the problem just keeps on coming back. And again, that's another aspect we haven't talked about is the fact that we're just a piece in the puzzle as herbalists. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to refer to think you know, of therapists and trauma counselors and 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 you know sometimes physiotherapists for things like, you know, really, you know, stuck chi and things like that that or osteopaths. Um and I think that kind of provision of a holistic kind of Uh, Healing process is really, really important. That's proper kind of integrative care, and I think we get better results when we do that. You know, people. I talk to people with cancer as well. As I say, you have to develop a portfolio of treatments Mm -hmm. that that resonates with them. It's not. It's different for different people. Mm -hmm. You know, some people might have really have want a lot of information about diet, and they really restrict. that other people might really want to go down the way of meditation. Mm -hmm. Other people might want to really powerful herbs together with really powerful chemotherapy for example and all these things are pieces in the puzzle and people have to kind of build that portfolio in a way that works for them Um, but I think that's a much more powerful way of delivering medicine than Mm. just say take chemo take herbs or just do your diet we've got
1: to work together as a team really Mm, I really like you say that because yeah it is we're part of a a healthy ecosystem, in a way, aren't we? That there is a network, and we're dependent on other insights and other skills. Exactly. Um, it's just that in herbalism, it feels like there is a there is a holism because it addresses um, diet, uh, lifestyle, and and the sort of internal therapeutic treatments within one clear modality that gives you the insight. I think to know how to refer to which other other uh, expertise in a, in a very just a clear way, because you, you know your limitations in a way.
2: I think that's right. And I think, as I said, I, I I totally agree with that. And I think that the the holistic system, it correlates well with people's experience. I mean, in a way, another thing that I always say is that with Chinese medicine, one of the great weaknesses of Chinese medicine is our diagnostic methods. You know, compared to Western medicine, where they're taking blood tests, they're doing imaging, they've mm. got incredibly sophisticated methods of diagnosis. And then I say also one of the great Strengths of Chinese medicine is our diagnostic methods, in the sense <laughs> that we listen. We're forced to listen to the patient. Mm. You know, we're forced to go back to person, to experience of disease, of what the person's experiencing subjectively, and to make sense of that. And so often, for example, again going back to urinary tract infections with chronic UTIs, so often, mostly women are told that there's nothing. There's no. Mm. You can't culture any anything from the urine, they're making it up, it's in their mm. heads. It's, mm. And there's women again, it's not, you know, it's in my bladder. You know, I, 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 and so we, we, we listen to them. And I think mm. that that is a really a powerful thing. And I think that that's in a way Western medicine, I think the great weakness of Western medicine is they've actually stopped listening to their patients. Mm.
1: Um,
2: and that's where we come in. And I think we can listen and make sense and treat accordingly.
1: Mm. Mm. Listening comes up all the time when I speak with Herbalist about what is the sort of essence of healing or what's behind it is, you know, one of the first things, isn't it, is that ability to, in Ayurveda it talks about how the duty of the doctor is to, you know, enter the heart of the patient. Mm. And you can do that through listening and being empathetic and then you can apply your logic to the very clear structures laid out and work out what what might be the appropriate path. And
2: it's, it's also it's one of the it makes it more effective medicine, but it's also one of the joys of medicine, isn't it? I, I think that that you know I think that's that's again the thing that I I was I I used to work in London Lighthouse years ago with tutor people with HIV and AIDS, and there was a very gifted doctor I used to work with, really lovely woman, and I saw her twenty five years later at the swimming pool. I go swimming and. I said, "How are you?" She said, "I said you still practicing?" She said, "No." I said, "I stopped." And I said, "Well, what happened?" She said, "Well," and I said, "Basically, they sucked the joy out of it for you, didn't they?" Mm. And and what happened is it became increasingly treatment according to algorithms, according to you know seven minute deadlines, mm. and and they the joy of actually kind of making contact with another person and helping to you know take them or help them to to, to improve their health and on lots of different levels. I think that's one of the great pleasures of our work and I think mm. to take that away just makes it quite barren mm-hmm. and that's what she experienced and you know she she'd stopped practicing really which is a real shame because in a way she
1: was in her prime you know mm. Mm. I wish I could go back to college, Andrew, and come and study with you because I, 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 love what you, you know, how you talk about Chinese medicine. I've met quite a few of the students that have come through your college, and I, you know, I know the the care and passion that you put into it. So um, I'll have to find some time somehow to do it. Another life. <laughs> <Okay>. Another <laughs> life. Next, next so, <laughs> well, it's they're so deep, aren't they? These traditions there's so much to enjoy and learn, and it's an ongoing, ongoing process. I I could relearn it all over again, and i Yeah, often me, well, think
2: that's that's one of the joys of teaching, isn't it? As you go back and you you yeah. relearn and you see it again, and you you see it from a different perspective. It is one of the reasons I like teaching, um, and uh, one of the pleasures of it. And it's it's unsettling sometimes because you think, oh, that's not what I thought i knew but it's uh, it's uh, it's 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 an interesting process
1: yeah well thanks so much for your time really enjoyed uh, hearing your story and we'll we'll be in touch soon thank you very much
0: as well thanks to you you've been listening to the herbcast the podcast from herbal reality we hope you enjoyed this episode if so perhaps you'd like to leave us a rating that would really help us to spread our message for herbal health hope you'll join us again for the next episode and in the meantime if you'd like a few more herbal insights from us do have a look at herbalreality.com or we'll learn more from us via instagram where we're at herbal.reality and we're on twitter and facebook too and we'll be back with another episode of the Herbcast car soon thanks for joining